0: Quick note before we start, this episode was originally slated for release during season one, but I had some audio issues with the recording, and at the time, didn't feel like I had the expertise to smooth them out quick enough to maintain the release schedule. I revisited the episode during the off-season and thought the stories were worth sharing, so I did what I could to rescue the audio, and while it's still not perfect, I think you'll enjoy the show. Welcome to Below the Line, the podcast where we talk about movies from the crew perspective. Today, we're mixing it up a little bit, and rather than talk about a specific movie, my guests are all graduates of the Los Angeles Assistant Director's Training Program. For listeners who are not familiar, the Training Program is an opportunity for individuals to work on film and television sets as a DGA trainee, paving the way for membership in the Director's Guild of America as an assistant director. There's an annual competitive screening process, which results in 10 to 20 selectees, In addition to regular weekend classes, these trainees are assigned to film and television sets for stints that last approximately 10 weeks each. And after two years, give or take, uh, the trainee has completed 400 days of work and is ready to join the Guild. And as a final note, there's a sister program in New York. Okay. Back to my guests. First, Vince Duque. Vince, welcome to Blow the Line. Hi. Now Vince, you graduated the program in 1998. Share with us, please, your first trainee assignment, your last trainee assignment, and your first gig as a member of the DGA.
1: Uh, My first trainee assignment was a uh, CBS television show uh, called Diagnosis Murder, starring Dick Van Dyke. My last one was a a -a 20-hour-a-day pilot called Mercy Point uh, that was uh, going to air on UPN. It was basically uh, ER meets Star Trek.
0: And so did that, you said it was going to air, did that never make it on the air? No. (laughs) (laughs) And from there, where did you spring into the DGA? My
1: first assignment was uh, a second second AD on additional photography on a movie called uh, The 13th Warrior, which is the movie title for the book Eaters of the Dead, um, the
0: Mike Crichton book. I think I saw that. Well, Vince, thanks for joining us today. Thanks. Next, we're joined by Paula Janos. Paula, you started with my class in the program, but then took three years to complete and graduated in 2002. Welcome to Below the Line.
2: Thank you. You make me sound like a slacker. <laughs>
0: That's, uh, no, uh, that was not my intent. Um, what was your first training assignment, your last assignment, and then your first DGA work after graduation?
2: I started out the same way as Vince on Diagnosis Murder, the great Mr. Dick Van Dyke. And then my last assignment was over on The Practice, in ABC Studios uh, production with Dylan McDermott. And uh, That also turned out to be my first job because they had one more episode to go before the end of the season, and they didn't want to go about bringing on a new trainee. And going through that whole rigmarole, so they just uh, asked if they could hire me on, which, of course, I said
0: yes. So that was great. Oh, nice. Nice transition there. Thanks, Paula. Glad you're here. Finally, and our fourth chair is Robin Wiley-Pratt. Robin, you graduated in 2002 with Paula, and you were one of the trainees that worked with me when I was the second second AD on West Wing. That is correct. Welcome as well. Share with us your bookends from your trainee assignments and your first AD work after that.
3: Um, Technically, my first assignment was uh, six different shows in eight days, which was a big challenge since I had no idea what a DGA trainee did when I got into the program, but then I ended up being on Malcolm in the Middle, uh, was my first official assignment. My last assignment was a feature, a low-budget feature called A Mighty Wind, which was uh, directed by Christopher Guest, and then out of the program, I was um, hired as a second second on Angel, which was the Buffy the Vampire Slayer spinoff.
0: Welcome, Rob. glad you're here. Thank you. Briefly for myself, I graduated in 2001. Uh, my first training assignment was on Party of Five, actually, where I worked for Vince at the time. And then my last training assignment was on a Jim Carrey movie called The Majestic. Like you, Paula, Majestic also ended up being my first gig as a full AD, They brought me on knowing I only had seven days remaining to complete my 400, and then I transitioned to a full-time position as an additional second. So we were all in the training program around the same time. Vince, you were in uh, first of the three of us. Paul and I started at the same time, but Paul and Robin graduated together. Let's talk about the program overall, Um, the purpose of the program, what the Directors Guild and the Producers Guild are trying to achieve with the program, and maybe your personal experiences with that.
3: Um, what I feel that the training program is trying to do is to get people into the business um, in the DGA that wouldn't normally have access to the channels um, that a lot of people, if they live in LA, or if they have um, the connections or family members, um, I feel like it is uh, does help women and minorities. Although there's plenty of men that graduate from the training program um, as a yourself uh, skid. Um, but if it wasn't for the training program, I never would have probably moved to California. I wouldn't have had the opportunities. I had gone to the training program right out of college, about a year out of college, and being a woman minority, not having any connections at all in California, it was definitely the foot in the door and is responsible for my career, period.
2: I would agree with that, that it opens up opportunities for people who have other eyes have that opportunity. Um, I came to the DGA training program after having had a full career as a news producer. I used to work at, locally, KCBS TV Channel 2. Before that I worked in Chicago, uh, creating the news newscast there. And when my decision to leave news came about, I didn't know how to make the transition to the entertainment world. And somebody told me, luckily, somebody told
1: me about the TGE training program. The inter- one of the interesting things that a lot of people don't know about the existence of the training program was that, you know, it was it was created in the sixties for those reasons that you guys are talking about. But in reality, um the labor board, the national labor board was going to sue all the studios because it was such a sort of rampant um notion of nepotism the, the studios wanted to address that with director skill, so they created this training program to sort of get them off their back With the idea that hey we're going to allow women and minorities into the program it's you know very similar to what they do now with all the director programs and the writing programs which you know they started in the beginning and it's like you know what's interesting is that at the end of the day, it, it, it created, produced a lot of amazing you know, graduates who've gone on to run studios and become big producers and directors and that sort of thing. But you know, when you think about it, they don't really – the director's guild has nothing to do with the training program. Like you know, If you ever go to a, a council meeting, the only thing they ever talk about the training program is how many trainees are, uh, are working and how many trainees aren't working, and then they move on with the agenda. So they never talk about the training program. And the producers, as you know, if you ever been into a sort of like a meeting with the at the uh, at the um, uh, training program meetings? They don't really talk about. They don't know a lot about what how to train the trainees, except for the notions that we all know, sort of the the basic things like time management and working with people, working long hours, that sort of thing. So, I mean, that's kind of an interesting note about why the training program exists, but. The other part of the, the, I guess, the question that you guys were answering was that, yeah, for me, um, it opened every door for me because um, I, you know, I just came out of the army. Um, I was in the business. I was already in the entertainment business for a couple of years as an administrative assistant at Paramount, and then I discovered this uh, training program, and it was I felt like, wow, this is definitely for me. It was like right up my alley. I thought I was going to become a production manager, and then I signed up. I mean, I, I took the test and then got in, and um, yeah, it opened every door for me. So I'm very grateful for to being a change for that.
0: So let's talk some about that selection process. I recall taking a test with about 1,000 other people, and that being the first process for selection. Did you guys have a similar experience?
2: I think that when I did, we had to fill out an application first, and then we were invited to take the test. So I don't know how many people... Filled out an application that we're not invited to take the test. But yes, then the big first analysis and assessment was that test being in a large lecture hall at the University of Southern California. Like taking the SAT all over again.
0: When you bring it up, Paul, I do remember the application as well. I don't recall it being as stressful as the test itself, I suspect. The
1: way it laid out was you paid $50 for the application. And you filled out a bunch of essays, and then you were able to take that initial test. So that from that initial test, you 150 people were selected to go to the assessment center, around 150 to 200 to do, to do the assessment center. And then from the assessment center, 50 made it into the final interview, and then they created the class out of that.
0: So in the assessment center, I remember taking what was basically a psych test uh, where you had to suggest that you could play well with others. I remember reading those questions and then doing group exercises where they evaluated us in groups of eight to 10. I don't recall how many, but then given a problem to solve as a group one by one.
3: That is correct. Um, And what they do now is they did away with the SAT part test of it. Um, I think my class was the class that kind of broke the camel's back because, In my class, uh, a lot of the selection process was based off of this test, which if you um, just got out of college like I was, I ate the math part or the English part. But if I were to take it now, I would totally fail. So it wasn't a good indicator of who would become a good AD. I feel like it was just a way for them to weed out all those essays they didn't have to read and then they only had to read the people, the top people that passed the test, then they read those essays. Nowadays, they read the essays and then they invite them to the assessment center.
1: One thing to add is the I, the, I was on the board, on the training board, when they eliminated the test. And one of the reasons they eliminated the test is because there was a sort of hint of discrimination about it, meaning that they wanted to create more access to different people. So for example, If you wanted to get, let's say, somebody like someone from, let's say, East L.A., the the producer's idea was that they shouldn't be presented with a sort of SAT type question that they would never be familiar with in their own lives. So that test question was, in in a sense, discriminatory. And this is, again, the producers talking about it, right, because they're kind of like the legalistic sort of aspect of the training program. So anything that we did or did about the training program that was relative to even the trainees, it had to go through them relative to some like legalistic notion of whether we could do it or not so that they wouldn't get in trouble for us doing it. So they eliminated the SAT type te- test and then we, they just, we just did the assessment sentence, which is, you're right, Robin. I mean, I had to read, when we took out the test, I had to read all those essays and it was painful.
0: <laughs> painful just painful <laughs> how many folks were invited to the assessment center
1: about 150 to 200
0: and from that 50 folks would be selected to go for board style interviews for the final choice
1: yeah so basically you took uh, when I did it you had some questions like what name for you have two minutes to name everything you can um what uh, you can do with a brick right so like the idea was sort of like processing or looking at things a certain or different ways and like assessing your ability to be creative and 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 uh, solve problems and then you had sort of like a an individual question about some scenario, uh a problem solving scenario and then they put you in a group of five five to six people in which there were four um evaluators from the board who are watching and then after that you had a five minute individual interview with one of the evaluators or four of those evaluators and then from there you either got a call to come in for the final interview that week or you they said sorry you didn't make it try again next year
0: now i remember with those group exercises consciously pursuing a strategy of not being the asshole and not being the quiet person and let somebody else assume each of those roles and then just try to sort of navigate in between that, not just for yourself or for the evaluators, but that other folks in the group, if asked, would name you at one of those ends as well. Paul, what was your approach?
2: That's interesting. I don't think I consciously had an approach, but in reflection, I realized I was the timekeeper. I kept the group on task and kept saying, which now I know is exactly what an EG does. I had no clue at the time, but I kept saying, guys, we need to focus. We have only two more minutes left. We need to keep going. Who wants to discuss this aspect? I kept the, the group moving, but I only because I guess I, like you and Vince, I have a military background as well. My dad was in the Navy, and so time is of the essence. Um,
3: my experience in the... The assessment center, I feel like, was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. Um, Again, I came to the training program out of college, so it was nothing like I ever experienced. Like no job interview I ever experienced. The group interview uh, was terrifying to me, and they, like you said, they give you an arbitrary problem, and you said, "Don't be the asshole," and you got to say something. And Paula, you took the, you said you took the role as timekeeper. Now remember the some problem was the plane crashed and all this stuff was on the ground now what are you going to pick up and there was like everyone got into this heated discussion there was a guy who used to like fly helicopters I'm like oh that guy's going to get in and the time was ticking away ticking away ticking away And I had said nothing I said nothing and I was like say something say something Robin and then everything escalated and people getting mad at each other and so what I did was I just yelled guys 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 and everyone just like, was like, what's her problem? And they got quiet. I go, now, we haven't talked about this granola bar. Is it chocolate or chewy? Because that's really going to affect my decision. <laughs> and then all, everybody in the circle with me rolled their eyes, but the people behind me started writing something down. <laughs> I, was, I was the only one in that group that got in the program. So my role or whatever was the diffuser or whatever, diffuse the situation. So they're looking for all types of people. You just never know what they're looking for.
1: So when I prepared for the test, I, re- I was very aggressive about it, meaning that I remember asking, finding trainees from different shows and just calling them and saying, tell me about the test and drilling them. And then I remember the, when I read the application on the computer, or it was, not, it was, it was, a, it was a, at the time, it was, a, it was a, a paper application. And so I remember I, I sort of extracted from that what the test was going to be so i did a mock test i did a i bought this book called and you can still get it at the bookstore it's called the book of questions and i bought the book of questions and i basically answered these questions because i knew that there was going to be this sort of brick question or something like what if there were two moons what would happen with the world if there are two moons there was those kinds of questions so i'd prep for that and i knew about the assessment center So I literally created my own mock assessment center, not necessarily knowing what the question was going to be, but it was going to be some sort of like poor man survivor. So I'd kind of created these questions of you're in a boat, blah, 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 blah. And I wanted to see how we were going to interact. So from there, I kind of had a strategy of how I was going to approach the assessment center. And what I did was I knew... I, you know, being, being someone who was in the military and, you know, being a lieutenant, one of the, sort of the big sort of attributes that I felt were important as a leader was to know everybody's name. So in the assessment center, I, the first thing I did was, what's your name? What's your name? What's your name? And then I would address them by name every time we had a question, but I, I was kind of very similar to, I mean, I kind of took all of those same attributes that Paul did and Robin did, where I was very quiet. I mean, everybody was bickering, bickering. So when I said something, I would just say, just completely out of a sort of like show and tell perspective, like, hey, Harold, that's what, you know, whatever you said about this and that, that's great. But what about this? So I always kind of presented something from a pitch standpoint, as opposed to I was right, you're wrong. What do you think about this? And then I was also the timekeeper. So I said, "Hey guys, we only have five minutes, so let's get this going, right?" So I was kind of quiet, and then because they asked me in the in the final in the final interview, they said to me, "I remember this. Why were you you were so reticent at the assessment center? Why?" Because in the final interview, I was really animated and you know super talky, and they were surprised that because I was just kind of a different person, and I just had this strategy that I didn't want, just like Robin said didn't want to like get mixed up with all the bickering. And interestingly enough, with all the, this like test or mock test, anytime that a trainee or somebody wants to get in the training program, I get, if I, I always select somebody a year to, to, I feel like, okay, could possibly be a good trainee. And we go through the process. In fact, in in Skid's year, Skid included, there were two other trainees that went through the mock test.
0: As a matter of fact, I wanted, when you were talking about the mock test, I wanted to tie into what Paula had mentioned earlier about our shared military background. I had come to Los Angeles after getting out of the Air Force, and someone put me in touch with Vince because he had background in the Army. And so we got to talking, and Vince shared with me that he was running this mock assessment. And so I was able to join that. And yes, in fact, Paula, of that original class, not just myself, but there were two other folks as well, who had trained with Vince? So of that our got group got in. Of our yeah. group, yeah. Vince had a large first. I don't, and I don't think there was anyone yeah. in our group that didn't get in. You might have met at other trainees other years. No, that was it. Make the cut, but that year we all three of us were selected.
2: Wow, Ins- it's like insider trading, sort
1: of. I wasn't on the board yet, but I decided I was going to help. I was, just, I think, I was, I just had just graduated from the program, but I kind of knew how this the whole test was going to work, so. Yumiko. So Yumiko, Skid, and Jeannie were in this group, and we did wow. the mock assessments test together. And to they've say. moved on to
0: bigger and better things.
1: You're welcome, guys.
2: And, and I have to say, all of those are great ADs.
0: Well, we learned some lessons, I think. And as far as um, what <laughs> you learned as well, well, certainly for getting through, I think um, my natural instincts in that sort of group test environment, were not necessarily to navigate it as effectively as you guys did. And I think running through a little mock session got me thinking about where your instincts to win or get noticed can go contrary to what you need to do as an AD on set, particularly.
1: Yeah, um, definitely.
0: Certainly the lessons about learning names, I suspect that I did that as well. That was a big thing for me when I was working as an AD. Um, and then uh, I think of the three, um, stages, if you will, I think the assessment center is probably the most difficult and where it's worth doing the most work ahead of time. I had studied up on my SAT stuff, given the nature of the test at the time, but I was a pretty good test taker. So the first part didn't concern me. And the uh, murder boards, or where they had eight or nine people at the table asking different questions, that was very similar to what I had done in the military for, you know, officer of the month or whatever other sort of board scenarios they had. And so that didn't intimidate me either. But that middle section with the assessment, you no, know, I think a lot of folks who may have gone on to become ADs through other paths um, that could trip them up.
3: Yeah. Like I said, it was terrifying to me. And um, luckily my father was with me on the trip. Like I had come from Florida just to come to the assessment center um, to take the test and t- uh, I took the test and then to come to the assessment center. And so we were there for five days and he knew enough about corporate stuff to tell me that, they're probably going to ask your question and realize it doesn't matter what the answer is; it's how you answer it. So everybody in the assessment center gets really caught up on getting to a you know getting to an answer, getting to an answer. What do we mean? What do we agree on, guys? Where it doesn't matter what you agree on; it's how you mm-hmm. communicate with the group, and that's what a lot of um, people that go into the assessment center don't realize.
1: Agreed.
0: You know, I want to talk a little more about the makeups of the class, as mentioned. In the class that I started with Paula, three of us had met through Vince uh, before getting into the program. In general, though, it wasn't just, I think, because of that knowledge ahead of time. We, Paula, were a pretty close group. And in fact, I would say we stayed pretty close. Some folks dropped out of the program, but I think we stayed in touch with most of them. And for those of us who did complete the program together, um, we continue to support ourselves as ADs up to this day
2: we had a fairly small group compared to say robin's uh and robin you can talk about that but we had i think 17 to start one dropped out that very first week and a second person dropped out within a couple of months of the program so the remaining 15 of us if i've got my numbers correct that's good but the remaining 15 of us we all stayed in touch we shared what our assignments were we shared The good, the bad, and the ugly of those assignments when we had our uh, bi-weekly or bi-monthly, whatever it is, uh, meetings on Saturday mornings, and uh, we also went out afterwards. And I think Vince's class, which was the class ahead of ours, started us off on the right foot because our very first Saturday meeting, I believe Vince, your class, hosted ours over after the meeting to have a couple of uh, drinks and shoot some pool or something like that and and just talk and to mingle and and to become a a unit.
3: And we're a very
2: strong unit to this day. Some of my best friends in the uh, the AD world are from that class.
3: Yes, I was actually very jealous of the relationship that you guys had because you guys were just one class ahead of us. And you guys did do that for our class as well. You hosted us. Um, but our class didn't click the way your class did. My class was much larger. It was about 20 people uh, with seven alternates. Um, and again, our, my class was probably the last year they did the test because I do feel like my class was a lot of, which is great, but a lot of young women like myself who probably did very good at the test because we were just out of college, but we weren't necessarily going to be good ADs. They chose me for whatever reason. I had no idea what an AD did when I was chosen. I just happened to be good at it and I happened to stick it out. It was the craziest thing. I really had no business being chosen, but they chose me and it worked out for me. However, we had 20 people with seven alternates and only 14 of us graduated. And imagine that at that time about 1000 people applied, um, how heartbreaking it is for the program to choose the wrong people that can't stick with it. Um, So no, we were not very close. Um, i say maybe half of our class or maybe about 10 are still working. I keep in touch with a few of them. um, uh, I'm good friends with one of them, but we we were not close. We did not go on ski trips like you guys did together. um, And I barely went and had a drink with anybody. We were all so busy. We just were not close. We were not a close class.
1: Um, I remember um, we were inspired, I was inspired by two things to kind of create that, that sort of string of, you know, passing the mantle on and connecting the training program. The class before mine, which was like Rusty Mahmood, uh, Robin Bronner, who, by the way, was the first person Robin was on stage 29 or whatever that Star Trek stage was. I was working at Paramount at the time. And I found out she was the trainee, like she was a trainee or former trainee. And I went over to stage 29 when I was an administrator and I picked her brain um, and um, she's the reason I'm, I'm here now. So I wanted to say that on air. Thank you, Robin. But you know, those guys, those guys were super social. And then the class before that with uh, Todd Murata and, and um, I forget the rest of them, but they had this party called the Blue Dog Party. And the Blue Dog Party happened at Rusty's house. And for years, probably for five, six, seven years, every single AD would go to this party and you would network from there. And that was sort of the inspiration of like, you know, trying to keep us galvanizing together because I kind of felt in the end, we were gonna get jobs for each other if we were, kind of, if we were able to you know, let go of the competitiveness and the ego and that sort of thing. And I thought there was something interesting about having an alumni system, kind of the way USC did or, you know, whatever, that we would be able to pass things on. Because I remember, also remember, what's um, Basil Grillo's uncle? Michael. Michael Grillo. So Michael Grillo was a board member and former, you know, head of production at Universal. And I remember one of his meetings, one of the Saturday meetings, he talked about having what he called the breakfast club. And the breakfast club was where, he and a few peers would all get together once a month to just shoot the shit and just talk about life and the business and that sort of thing. And that sparked the idea to me about us getting together once a month and chatting. And then, so we sort of passed it on to your group and so on and so forth. I mean, I don't know if it still goes on to this day, but, and I, you know, I don't, I don't know what any of my classmates are doing. I mean, I kind of keep in touch with Alicia Lewis on Facebook
3: She's working with my husband
1: <laughs> on a comedy right
3: uh the rookie um, sort of
1: oh not the comedy abc show yeah um yeah so alicia i keep in touch with a little bit um michelle parvin was my key second on a show i did a year and change ago but everybody else i don't keep in touch
2: with many of my jobs now unlike you guys uh, who are still working in the business I have moved into the freelance world. I don't do it full time any longer because I became a mom and decided that I wanted to spend more time with the kids than I wanted to do at work, and I'm lucky enough to be able to do that. And so I, I hang out my shingle that I'm available for hire, you know, AD for hire, and many, many, many of my phone calls come from DGA trainees, either from my class or those that I have mentored and their friends. And so that is a wonderful resource as well, once you're in the DGA training program, as opposed to coming up through the production assistant ranks. We're also very tight-knit. I've hired them, they've hired me, which is wonderful, because we all know each other's caliber, we've shared each other's stories, we know each other's strengths and weaknesses, and um, what makes each other tick, because we were so close. And I anybody's listening out there that wants to become a dga trainee i highly recommend making the concerted effort to get to know your classmates because these will be your peers in your future in your endeavors in your career.
1: and list. it's how you get information you know it's how you know it's you it's how you know what, what the pulse of the business is doing i mean you and you get uh, you get intel that you would normally not get like people that you know, your own classmates who've worked with other people that you might be working with, then you kind of get, you know, the inside scoop on on a lot of things.
0: I want to follow up on the networking issue, not only within the classes with other trainees as we did, but also that a large part of the program um, in that you're being assigned to TV and movie sets for 10-week stints is to meet folks as a trainee that then you can be in touch with when you're looking for work, when you actually graduate the program. And it's worth noting, I think, that uh, trainees don't get to choose their assignments. And in fact, the productions, while they can set out some specific requirements for the position, they don't choose the trainees either. That's centrally managed with the idea of like, moving people um, around from set to set and that folks can meet as many people as possible.
2: I think, I think it's been wonderful. I never would have made any of those contacts and I were talking about before, we didn't know a soul in the entertainment industry and hasn't come out of the program after 400 days of working there. and uh, 10 week stints, you had about 10 shows or so under your belt, 15. And if you were lucky, you had 10 to 15 good AD teams and good AD relationships that then turned into jobs. Um,
3: I agree, I feel like, um if As a trainee, if you're good when you graduate, you will absolutely work. Um, if you're not good, you might not work, but you still could because you know so many people. So basically, everybody that, for my my class I graduated, actually turned out to be very good because they stuck with it. And we all just worked and worked and worked and worked. Even now, even though I'm not in the same circles in single single camera, I could text, even if I haven't talked to them in five, 10 years, I would feel very confident texting people that I worked with when I was a trainee and saying, hey, still in the business, I'm available, what you got? And I would probably, I'd probably land something.
1: Um, I'm an interesting sort of perspective in that my key second AD now and my second second are from the third area. And I've, been meeting a lot of ADs from the third area. I don't meet... I'm, I'm, for whatever reason, kind of out of the trainee circle. I haven't had a trainee in probably four years.
0: And Vince, say a little more about third area for folks who might not be familiar with the distinction.
1: Uh, If you are a production assistant wanting to become an assistant director um, in the Directors Guild, one route you can take if you don't go through the training program is to get all your days as a PA non-union AD. And I, I don't know the numbers, but you get so many days and then you get to work as a director's guild member outside of Los Angeles and New York. So that's what essentially is the third area. And you guys can correct me if I'm off about that stuff, but Essentially, you can't work in LA until you get another certain amount of days, which is like a hundred. I think it used to be 150, now it's I don't know. Like, essentially, my guys, my key second and second second, can't work in LA, but they can do new media, which I'm doing a lot of these days. And they can't get their days um, to work in LA. But, but so, anyway, what I was talking about is they don't come from the training program. And they don't know all the trainee or former trainees, they don't have classmates, so it's much harder for them to get work because they don't have the days in LA. Whereas when you're in the training program, you get your 400 days, all of a sudden you're on the availability list to work in LA or New York if you want to be in new york a d and then you can get a lot of work. But these guys, it's such so difficult for them to get work, and the other thing as well is you know when you're a trainee they treat you like an AD, right? So you learn the process of doing the production report, the skins and the, doing the background, understanding how the set politics works. What I find is I, I see PAs. I know a lot of PAs and you guys, I'm sure all you guys do too is they get their days. And frankly, I wouldn't hire them as an AD. I'd hire them as a PA, but I wouldn't hire them as an AD because it's just a whole different story. You know, it's like different responsibilities more responsibilities, more maturity, and, you know, you could spend 400 days locking up, you know, a street as a PA and then get your days as a Directors Guild member, but you don't have any experience doing the production report or the or all any absolutely. of the paperwork, right?
3: Yeah, that's very, very true.
1: One thing I do enjoy about uh, the ADs that I've been working with recently who comes from the third area is that they're much more imaginative in terms, because they a lot of them come from non-union ADing, they've come from independent filmmaking. So there's sort of, just, and I'm just generalizing obviously, but in my experiences, they're much more apt to uh, solve problems and just do things like grabbing the chair or, you know, like, Setting up the pop-up tent, right? Just like a myriad of things that you just in this day and age, every show is now like squeezing blood from a stone. That you're doing so many more things than I used to do as a trainee. And uh, you know, I'm just sort of like I, I really do appreciate that spirit of of just making it happen in the third area, folks. But the other the other side of the coin is their PR stuck. So.
0: Well, it's certainly true coming through third area, you're not going to have nearly the same pressure to complete the paperwork correctly. When yeah. as a trainee, there's probably only a handful of my 400 days where I was not doing a production report right. at the end, uh, some right. stage or another. But I'm not sure I agree entirely, Vince, that uh, the trainees as a group would be below your third area folks as far as being ready to get stuff done. I think what you're talking about there is a lesson – that people get from different sets, how they come together, how a set works, what the ADs do on the set as far as putting those teams together. Um, And I think it can vary from experience to experience and personal lesson. Do folks have experience with uh, certain AD teams that they were really excited about, uh, learned a lot, or AD teams where perhaps they learned some things about how to do it differently when they finished the program?
3: Well, funny you should ask. My favorite assignment was on the West Wing with you.
0: Robin, you can come on the show anytime you want. Welcome back.
3: Um, No, honestly, that was the best assignment I ever had. Um, Mostly because as a trainee, you're mostly um, doing the production report every day and what is called base camp, which is getting the actors ready, which is all well and good. And you learn a lot doing that. But if you only do that, you don't know how to um, set background, which is what you really are going to do when you're a second, second AD. They usually hire you to set background. So training programs, 200, uh, 400 days, about day 200, 250, I got assigned finally to do background on the West Wing, where um, Skid taught me how to set background quickly, efficiently, and very kindly, which is something I've carried with me my whole career. So everything I do with background is what I learned on those 50 days from the West Wing. I am not kidding you. I still do the speech. I still treat them with, I kill them with kindness and I give them the benefit of the doubt and treat them with respect, but everyone deserves respect until they prove you otherwise. And that's everything I learned on the West Wing and how to communicate very quickly with very little time with a lot of people. You got your animals and your trees and that's a, right? (laughs) The trees are the people that stand there. The animals are the people that walk and you just tell them if they're an animal or a tree and
0: uh, Robin, it's nice that you bring it up. The West Wing was a great experience for background, and I believe that that's how they had established it from the beginning. I was there first season. I was the second trainee on the show, and they intentionally had the trainee start with organizing the background, getting them checked in, making sure the vouchers got signed properly, but then working very closely with the second second whose job was to primarily be on set and set background. That's the training I got when I was there. And yes, certainly when I was the second second for the full of third season, definitely applied those same lessons for the folks who came through. I can
2: concur with that as well. One of my favorite shows was the West Wing, and for that very reason.
0: And Paul, were you on the West Wing first season or second season?
2: Good
0: question. all, All of them start to blur together after a while. I,
2: I was, well, I will tell an anecdote. Uh, I was on the West Wing leading up to October 2000. That much I can say, so I don't know what season it was, but I'm very clear on the date because I was pregnant. I was six to nine months pregnant while I was on the West Wing, and they oh. were a wonderful place to be.
0: I was fortunate that I actually got to be a trainee on two films. Uh, I did Swordfish with John Travolta. And then I think another trainee in our class was going to start Planet of the Apes. And then I think she hurt her foot. I don't remember all the details on that story. And so it was somewhat last minute. I got pulled off of a television show because they needed a trainee on Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. And so I was very fortunate that I got to do both of those. How about feature film opportunities for other folks? Well,
2: mine can be very quick. I got one low-budget independent that was in town. again because. I uh, wisely or unwisely got pregnant in the middle of my training program. I, I
3: just thought I'd go I out of town. Um, I was lucky enough to work on two movies as well. The first movie I worked on was a Sandra Bullock movie that probably no one's ever heard of. I think it ended up being called Murder by Numbers. It was called Foolproof when I worked on it.
0: You know, Robin, you think no one knows that film, but um, your IMDb page says it's one of the things you're known for. So congratulations.
3: <laughs> Great. <laughs>
0: no, nobody takes the. <laughs> IMDB uh, uh, calculation seriously. But yeah, I think that's at the top of your page. We'll, uh, we'll oh, talk good. about that sometime. Um,
3: and then when I had 30 days left in the training program, I went to the murder by numbers screening and went to use the restroom during the screening. And the producer was sitting in the lobby and i said hello and he said hello and asked me what i was doing i said actually i only have 30 days left and i don't have an assignment and he said well i'm gonna go do this other uh movie and i will request you i'm like you can try that'd be great and sure enough he called the program and at the time uh the program director was very reasonable and he let me go do another movie for my last 30 days it was called a mighty wind
1: cool did you do the whole movie Mm
3: mm-hmm I did both the cool. whole movies, for both of them. Uh, the Mighty Wind was so short. It was, there wasn't even a script. It was just an outline. We, we shot fast.
0: The other trainee story that was a really difficult set to work on, but which people who are into this always appreciate I was there, is on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I got to do the episode uh, with the gentlemen, um, where the quiet guys that we set up rigs that they would float. And then they had these, dog-like people in straight jackets that would run around and they were stealing all the voices. Classic episode, got to be there as the trainee, uh, one of the other highlights of my trainee time. Besides working with you, Vince, I mean, of course, Party of Five, right? That's uh, that's uh, on Party of Five when I worked with Vince. There, the trainee did not set much background. We ran first team and did uh, production reports.
1: Yeah, you're my... First trainee on the last season of Party of Five. We were doing the wedding. Uh, Matthew Fox was getting married to Paula DeVic. I forget their character's names. Um, And we were doing it in Malibu, I think. And it was a shit show of a day. It was just a nightmare. So the beach, dogs, kids, wedding guests, it was a nightmare. And it was your first day, I remember,
0: (laughs) it was crazy. I don't remember it either. I don't remember? Blocked it out, or uh, did all right and just ran from it. I there. had, I had, you had come up to me at some
1: point in base camp. I remember, and you had this look on your face that I had not ever seen. And I didn't know you that well. I'd seen, I knew you from just having conversations with you, but to see you in this, like, I mean, it was a hard day. Cristo Delapano De was our first AD. It was slow going, it was the first episode of the season. So everybody was coming back and you know how it is on that sort of those days. It's like, we're all telling stories. We're not getting the work done. It was the wedding there were guests. People were getting through hair and makeup. So it was like, people were taking a long time. And it was a lot for you because you were the only one running base camp, probably around 20 people on your first day. Do you remember that? You don't remember that.
0: I think I've, I think I've blocked it out entirely. And so the
1: first day was like trial by fire. It was not an easy day. I mean, for me, Diagnosis Murder, it seemed, it, you know, it was my first day of real production. So everything seemed to be happening so fast that it was hard to keep up. And that was Diagnosis Murder. And Paul, you know, that was like, that's a, that, that show's pretty kick. I mean, you know, it runs itself essentially, right? So, but on Party of Five, it's so difficult. And Chris was having a connection. He wanted to blow his brains out because things weren't going his way. And he, you know, I remember one time he, I think he threw a radio, you know, I was trying to make, um, not make shit roll downhill. So I was protecting you from all the crap, but ultimately it just went, it was, it went haywire.
0: (laughs) Well. I did end up that day one of 400 and didn't end up sticking it through. So, however bad it was, uh, good
1: job, Al.
0: (laughs) My other memory of Party of Five is, and I'm sure things are different now, but we had to do a lot of running back and forth from the trailers or the stage back to the production office. And so I bought a little BMX bike for like 40 bucks. And again, I th- might have been taking up call sheets to get them signed or checked, or I don't remember why, uh, but having that little bike was a lifesaver. Yeah, huge.
2: I remember working on the Sony lot during the Nino years. And if anybody's worked on the Sony lot, they'll recall that the uh, streets all uh, center are like any alley, that the middle uh, slopes downward. And so they were just gullies with torrents of rain, and we were. Literally bearing waders to to walk through from from the stage to the trailers to knock on the doors for the cast. We couldn't even use the um, the golf carts because those those would flood because the, the El Nino rain was so high that it even went over where the the opening was for the golf course. The only thing that we could do is be have the transportation drivers pull up a van to each of the actors' trailers, and they would go from the top step of their trailer directly into the van. The rain was just so bad. uh...
3: Something Vince had said before, that a lot of the sets he worked on were trainee-friendly. I think it is worth mentioning that not all sets were trainee-friendly. And oddly enough, um, there is a stigma sometimes when you're a DJ trainee that you either don't know anything, which sometimes is true because you're brand new, or that you don't deserve the position you're in, or your AD um, or AD department is only hiring you to satisfy a quota for the DGA so they can hire as many PAs as they want. Um, And some sets are great and very trainee friendly and they'll train you and other sets you'll get there and um, you'll have ADs that weren't trainees or don't like the trainee program and you'll basically camp out there for about 50 days only doing the production report and only locking up a street. They won't give you the juicy assignments like uh, setting background or doing base camp or being next to the first AD on set. They'll just give you um, the paperwork just to check the box that they have a trainee. Um, And I was lucky enough to only have that happen once on uh, one of my features but everything, everybody else, had was wonderful, and uh, I learned a lot from the training program.
2: I'll agree with what you're saying, Robin. I worked on a show which I won't name that was not training friendly in the least, and I think it was sort of like hazing in some ways. They, at the end of the night, the trainee was in charge of doing the production report, and each of the departments, instead of handing in a piece of paper which would list their out times during wrap in the midst of the generators running and all the noise and everybody signing in and signing out every department would get on and individually crew members would say their out time it wasn't even by the department so somebody would get on the walk and say dga joe blow 21.5 and he wouldn't wait for me to say okay joe blow 21.5 and for the out time, and um, just then would go off the walkie, turn the walkie off. So if you did not catch it, if you had the misfortune of been being in the middle of a conversation with your UPM, or you're signing out your actor, when one of the, uh, the member of the crew was giving you the out time, you were up a crate.
3: Yeah, I've had those.
0: It's maybe worth noting for folks who are not familiar that the agreement to have assistant directors with the Directors Guild, if you're a union show, is that there are certain responsibilities that are supposed to be done by assistant directors um, and explicitly not done by production assistants. Now there's so much work getting done. So a show that navigates that successfully finds a balance between the roles that ADs have and where production assistants are able to assist, actually assist getting the job done, but still overseen or coordinated by assistant directors. Robin, when you mentioned where a show had gotten in trouble, what could happen is if a show was overly dependent on production assistance for some of these areas that were supposed to be AD jobs, they could, one of the factors that they could use to address it would be to hire a trainee, which was a good deal for them. um, Because trainees were much cheaper than regular assistant directors and could do all of the work. They're a good deal for a show in my experience, to have that extra person because there's so much work to be done anyway. Um, but a show that was taking it as a punishment, and again with ADs who were maybe did not have a background with the program or had had a bad experience in the past, I can imagine it'd be rough. I think I was lucky that I don't recall a show where I was hazed or treated unfairly. I think sometimes as a trainee I had, you know, had the short straw and it was a difficult assignment. Um, but if I had a show as unfortunate as the ones you guys have described, um, I have blocked it out. Party of Five, maybe, since I blocked that out. But no, I, <laughs> I don't think Party of Five is the best.
3: You can't remember your very first day as a trainee? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'll have to go find the call sheet. I probably still have that somewhere. I
2: think it's a common mantra among trainees to say, 50 days, I can survive. It's only 50 days. So when they do get a show that's less than ideal, and there are so many that are fantastic, but if they get a show that's less than ideal, for whatever reason, stand 50 days. I can survive. It's just 50
0: days. Well, setting aside West Wing, which we all agreed was a great place, um, both for the teams we worked with and for what we learned, what were your other favorites?
3: One of my favorites was a vampire show called Angel. And I was lucky enough to get it right around the time. Um, as a trainee, if you're new to the business like I was, I feel like there's a point about halfway through where you finally get it, and you stop sucking so much, and you start being really good at your job. And it's around day 200, day 250. Um, and for me, it was definitely on Angel, and that's when I really started to understand how to be a good trainee, not not how to just, you know, hold on tight and go along for the ride, whereas actually felt like I was um, helping out my team. Uh, It was a very hard show, since vampires can't go out in the sunlight. On Mondays, we'd start our crew calls around 9 a.m. and then by Fridays, our crew calls would be around 4 p.m. and we'd be shooting all night. It was a very difficult show. It actually was a show that most trainees hated to be on, but because I hit it right around my sweet spot, I actually had a really great time. I had got on the show right when the second AD and the second second AD were both brand new. So the three of us were new together. So we were kind of a team. Um, so they were new and I was new and we were all learning it together. And so it really, um, it was a, a really good experience. One of the best experiences I had as a, in a training program.
2: I think for me, the, we've made the best experiences and the best shows. The ADs that did take a training under their wing, show you how to do more than just the production. Some, some wonderful mentors that are out there who made those shows stand out and so memorable.
0: You know, I think we lost Vince at some point, and I'm going to avoid taking the opportunity to talk about what a horrible AD he was to trainees. Uh, he was just awful, awful. As all of you know, he's just a horrible, horrible person to work with, and um, we're glad he had to drop off the podcast. not quite sure where the hiccup was on, on that, but... Uh, are you going to air that? <laughs> oh, wait, he's coming back now. <laughs> Uh, maybe um his phone died what the we're gonna give him shit about that for sure um but that's uh, a training mistake
2: (laughs) we started when we started in the training program we did not have cell phones no we had beepers and we had motorola phones that you would press and they go (laughs) yep right? (laughs) Yeah.
3: No, actually, I I did have a cell phone, just no texting.
2: No, no texting whatsoever. And I remember Seventh Heaven, which Vince talked about. Fantastic show, lovely crew, one of the greatest AD teams, such a mellow, mellow stage. So wonderful. But the the lead actor really liked it quiet, which is fine. You had to have everything quiet, very quiet stage. And I was handed over the beeper or the phone, and I don't even remember what it was, so that I could communicate. And I and I had never had the responsibility of having that device before. And I turned to, and I don't even know if it was an AD, but I turned to somebody and said, can you make sure that this is you know, not going to make noise? Can you make sure that this is on, on telephone? Well, you know where the story is going. It started to roll. It was a very quiet, intense scene. And sure enough, my phone went off. And I think it was on my first day on
1: that show, <laughs> but they were lovely about it, and they all laughed and made a quick exit. I had to get my phone juiced up. So this stupid iPhone 10, which uh, if you are plugging it in to get juiced up, you can't use your regular headset, and I won't buy. It. I can't. That's have
0: that's so irritating. I hate that.
3: <sighs>
0: yeah, but let's take a moment. You you're on a podcast. Your phone's not charged up. Like, <laughs> I, Robin's talking about how many days. when somebody starts to get it, clearly you are in your first hundred days of podcast training events. Like this not acceptable. You get a bad review on this. This is my
1: first podcast, I have to say. I wasn't quite ready.
0: (laughs) Rookie. So let's talk about how things maybe have evolved with the training program, uh, either for folks who are considering that path or maybe folks who are on it now. How is it different today? than when we went through it.
3: Um, One thing that's very different about the training program now is when we went through the training program, we went through um, within two years. So you get 400 days within two years and you go through very quickly. Um, Nowadays, I talk to a lot of trainees. I think they take less people than they took um, when we were trainees and they don't get through the training program nearly as quickly. They still have to do 400 days, but it takes them over three four years to get those 400 days and the yeah. challenge for them is they are not supposed to work as production assistants when i was a trainee it was very good money because it was job 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 job. i probably only had a handful of weeks off um the trainees nowadays they sometimes they're off for two or three months and they got to find other work and their skills being a pa
0: that is a real challenge what else you guys want to say about as far as advice or um thoughts on the training program today
3: If someone um, is thinking about joining the training program and they have their heart set on it, if they don't get in the first time, you can certainly try again, especially if you're young. Um, I mean, even if you're old, it doesn't matter. But if you're, you know, you get out of college, you're 22, the training program turns you down one year, it doesn't mean they won't take you the next year or the next or the next, that you're just not quite ready for them at that moment. Um, So I would say don't give up if you have been turned down once. You've been turned down 10 times, maybe it's time to give up. But certainly I know people who have tried two, three, four times and they got it on their fourth try.
1: I knew someone who took it seven times and they finally got in. That person finally got in as a very successful AD.
0: Vince, did that person go through your training preparation class? No. (laughs) (laughs) They just, they were were winging it off. Okay. Yeah. Uh, had
2: that person gone through his training program. He wouldn't have taken seven tries.
0: Oh, yeah. With Vince, it's uh, guaranteed or your money back. (laughs)
3: That actually is good advice. If you do know somebody that went through the program, talk to them, pick their brains, uh, have them read your essays, because chances are they know what they're looking for. I don't have sit-downs with anybody like Vince does, but I've have a pretty good track record about half the people I've talked to have gotten in a training program. They were probably made for it, but also like little tidbits of advice to get them to help them navigate through the essays and the assessment center.
0: And you know, it occurs to me that folks who are thinking about what the test process is going to be and the acceptance process sort of planning ahead, that is not unlike what we had to do as assistant directors on set every day. Look ahead to what's coming down, look at your call sheet, know what to expect, and be prepared for whatever's going to happen. So in that sense, the first lesson for becoming an AD is probably understand more about what that job's going to be on the other side
1: one thing I wanted to bring up being a, a former board member is that part of the evaluation of finding the top 15, I think top 10, 15 trainees for the year now is part of it is a numbers game. So for example, let's say they, they, you read your, you get your essays read and then there's a sort of a, a scoring system that's similar to, um you know evaluating a gymnastics routine so like from 1 to 5 you know is this person production oriented and if i read the essay and you said in your essay oh i went to usc film school i would not necessarily give you a 4 or a 5 that you are sort of production oriented whereas someone else particularly let's say a labor relations executive might score high because they don't necessarily understand the nuances of that. So you get a score coming from the essays. You go into the assessment center and you get a score there. And then you go into the final interview. So if you don't do really well on the assessment center, you kind of skate on the um, essay you're kind of behind the eight ball already going into the final interview. So somebody has to really blow that final interview in the top 15 to, you know, be unseated.
3: That's interesting. I had no idea. Uh, One last tidbit of advice I would give anyone applying for the training program. If you're lucky enough to make it to the assessment center and into the final interviews with the um, board, make sure you read your essays, the ones that you wrote six months ago, Um, because they are going to bring up every little thing you wrote in your essays. And I did not do that. And so I had to rack my brains about what I um, had said six months ago in my essays and try not to, you know, sound like I didn't know what I was talking about.
0: You did all right, Robin, apparently. You remembered well enough.
3: Yeah, I'm a good faker.
0: (laughs) Another essential AD skill. Well, folks who are interested in learning more about the training program, uh, you can Google the Los Angeles Assistant Director's Training Program, and to get more information. I'll also note, as we said in the beginning, New York runs a parallel program, but has their own process of selection and placement and such. None of us have any direct experience with that. It could be different. Hey guys, thanks for joining today. It's been a real pleasure catching up.
3: Thanks. It's been
0: great. Thanks, this was fun. Yeah, it
1: was fun. Uh, Great catching up with you
0: guys.
3: See you on the next show.
0: Yeah, right. the next show. Take care, guys. That's our show. And if you've made it this far, thanks for your patience with the audio quality. If you're a fan, you can also check out our Facebook page at Podcast Below the Line. For Twitter and Instagram, you can find us at Pod Below the Line. And if you've got feedback, send an email to skid, S-K-I-D, at below the line, one word, Biz. That's B-I-Z. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music and thanks to John Wan for our logo. The logo is available on t-shirts, mugs, and stickers at redbubble.com. Just search for below the line. Next episode will be out in two weeks. Hope you'll join us then.
3: One more tidbit of advice. If you are going to go out for the training program, read your essays again before you go to the assessment center.
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
3: Because they bring it up during the interview, the board meeting interview.
0: Robin, will you say all that again when Vince isn't having a drink and saying, "Mm mm-hmm, and yup, Vince, come on, man. (laughs)
3: It's podcast (laughs) 101. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.